So we are wrapping up Orphan Care Month, which is something that we've done here at NBC to kind of put some emphasis on how to flesh out our faith. The Christian life is more than talk. It's more than sermons. It's more than reading, studying, praying, discussing, challenging one another, encouraging one another, memorizing scripture, those kinds of things. Those things are all fantastic. But the Christian life is clothing yourself with humility. Christian life is anger at injustice, anger that prompts us to act and gets us over some of our fear and our comfort. Christian life is outdoing one another and showing each other honor. The Christian life is mimicking the Father by considering other people's needs as more important than our own needs. Christian life is living out the role that God has you in this family that he's growing. 1 Corinthians 4.20 puts it this way, The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. You won't ever experience the Christian life the way God wants you to experience the Christian life so long as you insist on living on your own power, orchestrating your life so that you never rely on anyone but yourself actually robs you of the life of faith that God has for you. This month has been a sort of message in a bottle that's washed up on our beach. We've opened up a message and realized someone's in trouble. In fact, a lot of people are in trouble and they need our help. God is moving us away from the safe shores of caring about orphans and moving us out into the deep waters of actually caring for the orphans themselves. It's one thing to care about an issue. It's another thing to care for a person. This is not for the lovers of the status quo. Amen? It's not for the weak or faint of heart. It's really not for lovers of self, but the love of God compels us toward people in desperate need. We've taken an entire month to discuss the needs of the fatherless, of the orphan. And it has bled out into some other arenas of vulnerable people. And we've done this for a couple of reasons. Many times in a sermon you have a lot of teaching, and then at the very end there's some application. Here's how you apply this. Here's what you can do with this. But when you read the Bible, here's what you read. You read something kind of interesting. Read most of the New Testament letters, and here's what it looks like. We just walked through Galatians, right, as a church, for weeks and weeks. There was the whole first half that was teaching. Here's who you are in Christ. Here's what's been done for you. Guess what the whole second half of the letter is all about? It's here's how you live this out. Here's what you do with this. The Christian life is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. You know what that is? That's 50% application. 50% of the book of Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians, and you could go on with some other letters in the New Testament, are application. What do we do with this? So it seemed appropriate to take one-twelfth of our year, taking an entire month, and saying, how do we flesh this out? God's heart is clearly for the vulnerable in our society. Clearly. Undeniably. And at the top of the list, every time, is orphans. So that's why we're highlighting this. You know, the plight of those without families, those abandoned, is not strange to Christians. It's really our story. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. 
Verse 12, it says this, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's the plight that everyone is found in by Christ. We're born into this. But the passage doesn't end there. Verse 13, Ephesians chapter 2 says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You know who the at-risk youth were spiritually? Me. Every one of you who names the name of Christ and has been brought into the family, you were the at-risk child, and God came and rescued you. I have been amazed just hearing from some of you. Uh, this topic has stirred up a lot of stories. In fact, I've learned many things about some of my friends that I really didn't know a ton about. And... Um, a friend of mine came up to me, I think, a couple weeks ago and said, I, I might be willing to share some of my story, but I don't know that I could ever get up and share it myself. It's just too emotional. It's too deep for me. And, um, so, but but he, was, he was willing to write it down. He said, he said, you know what, I'll write it down and maybe you can, can read it. And so, um, so I want to do that. I want to read for you a story of a person in our midst whose physical family kind of lines up with the spiritual story that God has done in his life. Listen to it. It says this. I had an abusive and alcoholic father. So at the age of five, friends and family members told him to get out of town. At that time, my mom was becoming too sick with multiple sclerosis to take care of her three children, two boys and a girl. I'm not sure why other family members did not take us in, but regardless, they didn't. So the three of us were taken to an orphanage in Dayton, Ohio. It was the proverbial orphanage that you saw in the movies. It was run by nuns. They were very kind and loving, but also very strict. I got to see my mom every other weekend when she was healthy, but she was in and out of nursing homes and hospitals quite a lot, and we saw her less often as she became more ill. In the orphanage, the older boys were separated from the younger boys, and the same for the girls. My brother was four years older than me, so I had very little action with him and pretty much none with my sister. She was two years older, except when the three of us would get to go and visit with our mom. So life in the orphanage became normal. There were certainly a lot of fun times with the orphanage, but I never knew what it was like growing up in a real family or hanging out with friends after school or spending the night at their houses. Some families would come to adopt or foster children from time to time. I went to several foster families for a weekend to to get a tryout and see if it was a good fit, but for whatever reason, it never quite worked out. Then a husband and wife with no kids came by and wanted to foster all three of us. Yay! That sounded great. We went and stayed with them for the weekend, but in the end, they decided just to foster my older brother and sister. In January 1964, mom passed away. I was 13 by now been in the orphanage for eight years, and by this point I was pretty much top dog amongst the kids. This is when God set in motion his perfect plan. A family with four girls and one boy wanted to foster a boy about the same age as their son, who was 14 at the time. So I went home several weekends, and it seemed to work. I went to live with them and became their foster son. Is there a happy ending? 
Initially, no. There were unbelievably tough times. Me trying to fit into a family of five. Not knowing how I needed to act in a family. Me being used to essentially do whatever I wanted to do in the orphanage. Me talking back to the parents. Yes, some really rough times. Which led to one big day when they all took a vote. I didn't know this until years later. Should we keep him and love him and be his family or send him back to the orphanage? But God was there. God knew what he wanted. They voted to keep me and they became my family. And I am very close to all of them to this day. I was finally wanted by someone in this world. Thank you, my Lord and Savior, for loving me so much. We opened this series long ago with Psalm 68.6, which says this, God sets the lonely in families. As we've gone through this month, we've looked at orphanage life and said orphanages are good, but not good enough. Because nannies will never be mommies. We're not done yet. So I want to end on a hopeful tone. I'm not going to show you any stats. I'm not going to show you any videos that are going to make you cry. Uh, we've done that. We've seen the problem. And I hope the problem isn't just something that we hurry up and change the channel. I wish the pastor would get on to something else. I do want to leave us hopeful, though. You may be wondering, how can we remain hopeful in the midst of so much evil in the world? So much need. There's a song I learned as a kid says this, Jesus loves the little children. You know it? Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are what? They're precious in his sight. You catch two really big words from that song? All the children of the world are loved by God. In fact, they're so loved, he would use the word precious to describe them. That's a biblical concept. That's not made up in a kid's song. All kids being precious in this world, no matter what they look like or where they're from, is a really big idea. That's a really big problem right now, because we wouldn't look around our world and see that that's evident. Today I want to launch us forward with hope. I want you to feel a sense of excitement that God has alerted us to the problem. Rather than let it feel like a burden... Think about this. God has alerted this church, you, to some problems in this world. Ever wonder why that is? I mean, there's hope in that. There's a story that I heard in church growing up. I think probably many pastors in the country used this when, when it came out. It was written by a woman named Lauren Isley, and it was called The Star Thrower. You may have heard it before. It goes like this. A man was walking along the beach and he saw a boy picking up something and throwing it out into the ocean. And approaching the little boy, he said, what on, what on earth are you doing? And he said, well, I'm throwing starfish back into the ocean. The surf is up and the tide is going out. If I don't throw them back, they'll die. Son, the man said, don't you realize there are miles and miles of beach and hundreds of starfish? You can't make a difference. After listening politely, the boy bent down, picked up another starfish, and threw it back into the surf. And then smiling at the man, he said, I made a difference for that one. A book uh, called Hope Rising 
said this, it's a sweet story with a message that you can make a difference one at a time. But it is strong on individual action resulting in individual rescue. He goes on to say this, had the story been written for the 21st century Christian, it would be quite different. Maybe it would go something like this. A man was walking along the beach when he saw a girl taking a picture of a starfish with her iPhone. Approaching the girl, he said, what are you doing? Uploading pictures of the stranded starfish to my Facebook page and asking friends to tweet the call to action, she said. The surf is up and the tide is going out. And if I can get enough friends out here, we can get all these starfish back into the water before sunset. Little girl, the man asked, what does tweet mean? The girl rolled her eyes and she bent down and picked up a starfish and threw it back into the surf. Then she gave the man a wry, twinkly-eyed smile and said, if you want to help out, this is how you do it. Within hours, thousands of children stormed the beach, and every starfish was rescued. The biggest difference between the man and the girl was what each of them expected. The man did not expect that all starfish could be rescued. He expected them to die. He thought the problem was too big, that it was just the reality for starfish. But the girl was not held hostage by low expectations, and that made all the difference. Expecting that every starfish could be saved, unleashed her exuberant action while the man slumped critically on the beach, prophesying about life's impossibilities. The girl didn't just expect the starfish to live. That would be wishful thinking. Instead, she saw that she could do something. She made a plan and took action, and that is what hope is all about. Catch this. Hope is the action-driving fuel that turns vision into reality. This morning, as we wrap up Orphan Care Month, I want to fill you with hope. Sharing your umbrella is using what is in your hands. Or if your hands are empty, it's just simply using your hands. Save a starfish, or maybe grab your friends and save many starfish. How is it that we can be positive in the face of such need? Here it is. We have an amazing God, and He's not done yet. He's working and he's moving. If you look around and you listen careful, you see that God is working in our midst, in and through us. This morning is about extending your reach, kind of maximizing you. How can we do that? Some of us in this church are bike riders. And when you look at a bike, a bike is a really amazing tool that's been invented. Through a few shapes, a triangle and a circle and some basic materials, it makes your body more powerful. It takes your energy and it makes it much more efficient. To walk 100 miles would take a really long time. To ride 100 miles is tiring, but it's not really that hard. A bike maximizes your effort. With a little practice, you can do the magical on a bike. As the bike is to the body, so the computer is to the mind. Steve Jobs famously laid that out in a speech long ago. When you think about a computer with a little trackpad and some keys, it's taking things that are in your mind, running calculations at blinding speed, and allowing you to do things you could never do uh, simply by yourself. Furthermore, in the day and age we live in, it helps you navigate cyberspace, right? Furthermore, it doesn't even need a computer anymore. It's sitting in many of your pockets on your phone. So, what extends 
the reach of your care? What if your compassion could be unleashed the way that a bike unleashes your body's energy? The way that a computer can can maximize your mind and your thoughts to create things that don't exist otherwise? Could it be that the local church, God's plan A for showing compassion and redeeming a fallen world, could it be that the local church is the bike or the computer that would extend your reach? that would take your care and maximize it. The church is simply saints that are gathered together. And I'm constantly thinking about this thought, what would it look like if we really worked together and functioned together the way the Bible calls us to? What would it look like if churches in the South Bay really began to care and function as a body? I've seen some amazingly exciting inroads to that in the last several years. We have a long ways to go. Amazing partnerships are are about being more than the sum of their parts. Ask any great band, ask any great sports team, ask movie makers who get together, business partners who get together and say, man, there's a magic that comes together when we're all together functioning in our role. Partnerships allow you to do that which is otherwise impossible. Right now, you may have walked in and seen our care board. We're going to leave that up for one more week. After, After next week, it'll be gone. But through the power of writing a check or sending an auto payment through your bank for $35 a month, you actually extend your reach in a pretty powerful way. I showed you pictures, I think, a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, of our group that receives our letters, our packages to our children in Ethiopia. For $35 a month, you are reaching halfway across the world and changing a community. When you sponsor one kid the community really benefits from it. So that's what I'm talking about with partnerships. There's an organization called the International Justice Mission. They're a gospel-centered organization that is going in and stealing back kids who've been stolen for the sex trade industry around the world. And they're having huge success. And there's massive opposition to them. There's World Vision. There's Compassion International. There's adoption agencies. Help One Child is a foster care program right here in our city that we partner with. So partnerships are amazing. But I would put out to you this morning, just before we get into our text, that the most natural, ongoing, and powerful partnership that you can have in extending your care and compassion is with your local church. That's not to say don't partner with other organizations. But the most natural, ongoing, and powerful way to partner and extend your reach like a bike does for the body, like a computer does for the mind, is to partner together with your local church. This is the place where you are known and can actually know other people. This is the place where you grow up and people neither ignore you nor idolize you. It's easy to kind of pop in, be a traveling speaker, jump in and show care for one little bit, and people go, wow, you have such a big heart. You know what's great about the local church? We're family. The family just isn't that impressed with one another. We love each other deeply, but we don't put each other up on pedestals because we know each other's faults. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Because then you don't uh, kind of build walls around yourself and become hypocritical. There's some real danger to going in and, and, and being a rescuer kind of little bits at a time instead of letting it bleed out of your life. 
All right, we are going to land in uh, Romans chapter 12. So if you're not in Romans chapter 12, I would invite you to go there. However, while you're turning there, you can jot this down if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says some similar ideas, and I want to introduce where we're going in Romans 12 on the church as the body by reading to you a little bit from 1 Corinthians 12, which you can follow up later on. It says this. It's talking to Christians, by the way, in regard to being the church. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, I won't go on to read the passage, but the context of that series of questions is this. By implication, of course not. Of course we're not all those things. But while there's differing gifts, and while there's differing needs that are met by those gifts, there's one God and one Spirit that builds up His one church, the body of Christ. It says that we are individual members, but that we are part of one. Think about prophets. Think about the different gifts in the church as applied to orphan care. You know what the prophets are? Prophets live in a black and white world. Some of you are highly justice-oriented. If you see something wrong going on, you don't stop to ask whether you will be hurt, whether it might step on toes. What do you do? You stand up and you take action right now. Why? Because you live in a black and white world. The prophets amongst us are angered at the injustice. They are unfazed by figuring out ways to say it politely. They're prophets. Some of you are strategists. What a strategist does is they are concrete thinkers. They're able to kind of synthesize information. They look at the assets of a church. They look at what we're good at. What do we have? How can we take what we have, put it together, and maximize it to really make an impact? Not just now, but let's figure out how to never let starfish get washed up again and be in this same predicament years and years later. That's a strategist. Some of you are those. Some of you are just high compassion and care people. It's beautiful, by the way, when high compassion and care people get married to prophets. It really is. It causes a lot of sparks in a marriage, but it really rounds out a family well when you have that. Those of you who are high in compassion and care, you are amazing people to have on, on the ground. Just in the way that you show hospitality or throw a dinner party or show up at a friend's house, you always are thinking of the human touch, of making it personal, of keeping it with actual people in mind. Not a program, but actual people. You're amazing to be around orphans with. I've seen some of you. Some of you are artists and authors and musicians. You know what the artists amongst any community do? They're able to stir up sadness and hope, wonder and curiosity and joy and passion, sometimes all of that in one song or one poem. That's needed here. Some of you are encouragers. You keep the troops fired up and remind them of the big picture. You remind them that we're fighting this battle with God Almighty on our side. 
Some of you are financers. You know that God has blessed some of you amazingly well to just earn money easily? I've met some of you. You know what's awesome is when that's turned over to say, you know what, money can fuel ministry. And not only that, you're good with money, you're wise with it. So you're able to see how to take funds and make it change lives in a way that's uh, filled with integrity. Some of you are travelers. Some of you love to be on the front lines. It's nonsense to sit in meetings. It's nonsense to sit around and talk about it. You want to go and do it firsthand. You get on planes, you sleep in discomfort, you see things firsthand, and you bring back the stories to the rest of the community. Do you see how we need all of you together? You see how if any one of those, I just started the list. That's not an exhaustive list. But do you see how every one of those would be needed in tackling orphan care? Well beyond a month. Romans 12. Follow along with me if you're, if you're in, the, in the passage. Romans 12, starting in verse 4. It says this, For as in one body we have many members. It's talking about our physical body. We all get that. And the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, if you circle in your Bible, if you underline in your Bible, if you highlight in your Bible, and I hope you do, highlight these next four words, let us use them. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It goes on to lay out some of the motive Motive and methodology. Hey, as you're engaging in orphan care, let it be motivated. Let it be stemming from a heart that does this. Look down at verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Is there enough instruction in there, church, for us to work on for a while? Is it really that we need to learn more? If we just had a few more principles memorized, then we could really make an impact. I bring you back to what I started with. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by the power of God. If God gives you this much knowledge and this much faith, and you go take your step and you start living in obedience with that, you know what God does? He begins to grow your knowledge. He begins to grow your faith. He begins to grow your levels of responsibility. If we sit around waiting, 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 and not using the gifts that God's given to us, they dry up. I was trying to think of a way to not let Orphan Care Month be a once-a-month thing. 
we talk about this all the time as, as elders of the church. How do we let service and sacrificial act of love not be something that we relegate to one week of missions in the summer of going down to an orphanage in Mexico? How do we not let it be that, that we just have these little spikes that go on and then we go, whew, that was tough, giving up my vacation and serving kids. Most everyone who comes home from Mexico, by the way, is blown away and feels like they received a gift rather than they giving gifts to anyone. That's the way God works. He kind of gives mutual gifts. So he said, how, how can we do it to where that just becomes a lifestyle? You know what we realize all the time? It's God's work. We can't make that happen. We can't even stir that up in our own selves. So I was praying and thinking, well, God, how can we make this not just a, a one-month thing? How can we not just let it be? Many churches celebrate Orphan Sunday. It's the first Sunday in November. One Sunday a year, they kind of turn the spotlight toward the fatherless. And as I thought about that and prayed about it, I thought, you know, I think what we need is kind of this banner that says, what, what could we do? What could be kind of a, a big goal? Not an actual banner. Some of you are like thinking of the design of the banner already. Don't. Stop. What, what could be kind of a big overarching thing that we all go, yeah, we want to work toward that. And it won't die once February hits because Orphan Care Month is over. And I think this came up with a conversation from someone in our church. I can't remember what first lodged this, but it began my brain thinking. Um, I think someone called our church an adoption-friendly church. That they were considering adoption, and because we, we are an adoption-friendly church, this seemed like a good fit. And so I thought, what would it look like? Here, here's what I think. I think we are an adoption-friendly church, and I think we have a long way to grow in this. And I think that would be a label that Jesus would be proud of for this church. If we could faithfully become and remain an adoption-friendly church. Now, here's what, here's what I mean by that. And again, this is, this is sort of just starting the list. But just to put a little bit of tangible concrete thoughts behind it rather than just, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Let's do that. How do, we, how do we move toward that? How do we maintain being an adoption-friendly church? Here are a couple of thoughts that I put down. One is that we would take away the strangeness of adoption by simply talking about it. That comes from the pulpit and not overlooking many passages that speak to this. It comes from talking and seeing our own adoption in Christ Maybe take away the strangeness is a bad way to say it. Maybe normalize it would be better. That adoption isn't such a strange thing. Here's another one. What if we celebrated a decision to adopt? What if, what if placement day, when someone got the news that a child's been placed in their family, or when it was gotcha day, that's when they actually take custody of the child, or when they come home from, from you know, Texas or down the street, or across the world with their child, that, that it's such a big celebration as much as someone celebrating the birth of a child in a hospital. What if at every celebration that we welcomed a new one into our church family, we reminded one another that there is room here in our church for one more? There's room in our hearts for one more. There's room in our pocketbooks for one more. There's room at our table for one more. We will make room for you joyfully, 
gladly. You know what that would do? As we celebrate someone adopting, it would send the message, we're not full yet. God is so not done here yet. There's room for one more. And when that one more comes in, we'd remind each other and look around the table and say, we still got room for one more. What if we saw adoption as kingdom-expanding great commission work? I think there's a deadly trap in thinking that we're going to go off and do religious things and win people to Christ without coming alongside and thinking of these very practical, tangible needs that Jesus instructed us to meet right along with them. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. If you want to be deeply involved in discipleship and evangelism, what better way than to be involved in the foster and adopt system? That's a long-term commitment to discipleship, is it not? That's a long-term commitment and a deep investment in evangelism. Do you see that this is more of a culture than a program? We can't just slap a program on this and say, whew, we figured it out, we're done. This is a culture that would need to be nurtured and continuing to develop. Two more. What if we dream big and aren't afraid of tough realities and questions? According to many statistics I've read, and I think this is experientially true, one-third of Americans have considered adopting. One-third. Do you know that the problem of orphans in America would be very, very, very quickly eradicated if far less than that just adopted kids? Gone. It would be done in this country, period. So if one-third of the Americans thought at some point, that's a good idea, someone should do something, I'll think about it. But somewhere between the thinking about it and the acting on it, something happened. You know what some of those things are? As you begin to walk down the realities of this, you begin to think of some different issues. There are some tough issues that are raised with that. We can be paralyzed by the what-ifs in life. What will this mean for the biological kids that I have in my family already? What will this mean for my finances? What, what might this do to our marriage? What will my family think? What if I don't love them quite the way I love my biological kids? What if? It's really good to weigh those out. It's really good. I pray this church would be a place where we can ask honest questions. I pray we wouldn't even need to preface it with, don't think of me as a heel, but I'm asking this question. I hope we can just be honest and vulnerable enough to say, that's a great valid question. I'm glad you're able to vocalize that. Because that needs to be thought through. One more. What if we had Sunday school teachers that are aware of some of the special needs that foster and adoptive kids are? Just being sensitive to the fact that when you say, hey, everyone bring a baby picture of, uh, in, that, that maybe the whole class doesn't have a baby picture. Doesn't mean you can't ask for that, but if you're just aware of that and you're sensitive to the language and you're thinking through who's in our church, it would communicate you're a part of this as much as anything else. Much of the world, much of the school is not going to think that way. Couldn't we go leaps and bounds in front of that and make it a place where, gosh, I can't even put my finger on it, but as I grew up in, in this church, I was made to feel less weird than I was in other places. That's what I'm getting at. I'm going to invite the Spangbergs up right now. <clears throat> Tim and Christina have been um, on a pretty awesome journey here the last year, and um, They've graciously been willing to, um, to share some of their story here, so I'm going to let them talk. All right. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. 
Well, uh, uh, we were married in the summer of 2000. Uh, after a few years, we planned on having biological children. After a year had gone by with no success, we learned that we had infertility issues. We both agreed that IVF was not for us. Um, but if Christina became pregnant, of course, I would be 100% supportive and a proud father. But if we couldn't have kids after that, like that, the thought of never being a dad wasn't a big deal to me. Um, when the possibility of adoption was discussed, I wasn't as on board as Christina here. Um, I thought of adoption as an option, as a choice. Uh, Christina, on the other hand, even when she was a kid, had dreams of being a mom, even adopting. Uh, Christina's biggest fear during this time was to never have the opportunity to be a mom. Uh, she struggled with what God's plan was for us. The first adoption agency we worked with was based in Oakland called Adopt a Special Kid, or ASK. It was during this time that Christina had to deal with some serious health and dietary issues, and we also had a chemical pregnancy, which left us wondering if we could or could not have biological children, <clears throat> despite what the doctors said. Um, these things created all kinds of questions that we gave to God. Uh, the infertility issues and not being on the same page regarding adoption really put a strain on our relationship, on our marriage. Um, before we knew Jaden, even before he was born, uh, Christina wrote this poem that we'd like to share with you. To my child, I have not yet met you, but I love you so much, and I can hardly wait to see you. I don't even know your name, but I love you so much, and I love for, long for the day when you will be mine. I don't know what you have experienced or where you have been, but I love you so much, and I'm looking forward to what we will experience together and where we will go together. I don't know who you are yet, but I know that you are my child, chosen by God, especially for me, and I love you so much. Your mommy. Um, so I reluctantly agreed to get the ball rolling again, this time through the Santa Clara County Department of Family and Children's Services, a little less driving. Uh, for us personally, we decided not to pursue an international private adoption, but rather seek out an available child in our county, mostly because it was more convenient and less expensive. I still had much fear about adopting, a lot of what-ifs, like you were talking about. What if we end up with a baby with fetal alcohol syndrome or a drug baby? What if the child in life later seeks out their biological parents and we just end up being second-place parents? Uh, what if there were, were way too many appointments to keep with, like, speech therapy, physical therapy, parent parental visits? What if the parental visits were, like, five hours drive away? All these crazy what-ifs in my mind. Then there was the adoption training that happened on Saturday mornings. They gave many worst-case scenarios. They didn't claim to be an adoption agency, and the desired goal is always reunification with the biological family, if at all possible. Uh, there were many times during the adoption training that I wanted to drop the whole thing. But to be completely honest, what kept me going was the fact, and this is, I know this is kind of wimpy here, but the fact that all adoptions through the state of California or Santa Clara County require at least a six-month foster care period before the adoption could be finalized. So there's always a parachute for me. In my mind, it was like a trial period that I had the option to return Jaden back into the system while we were still foster parents. It took bonding with Jaden, having him with us in our home for around one to two months to make all my fears calm down, to 
to realize that all the time, the effort and the energy required to be Jaden's dad is totally worth it. We are proud to announce that we will be finalizing the adoption tomorrow afternoon, where we change from foster parents to adoptive parents. Our son will be given a new birth certificate with the name Jaden John Spangberg. Jaden means God has heard. There is no way you could change my mind about this adoption now. Jaden is my son. I wouldn't have it any other way. So if you'd like to talk with us more, we're available at any time. Let's hear it for him, guys. Stand for one second. Christina, hang on. Hey, I just want to pray for you guys. It's exciting that tomorrow kind of completes one part of the journey, but really it's a giant start to another part of it. So, God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for uh, overcoming the fears and the cost and the doubts and the wrestling match, God, of moving, viewing themselves as an infertile couple to parents. And God, you're, you're the miracle worker. You're the one that, that gives us and blows us away. And Father, we pray that tomorrow would go through exactly as planned. We thank you for the legal transfer that will go on tomorrow, God, forever changing a name and an inheritance and finalizing it. And God, we're just, we're reminded of our own adoption story. We're celebrating that we get to walk through this with the Spangbergs. God, we, as I pray this, I see Jaden's face and it's a real person now. It's not just a kid out there. And we thank you so much for forming this family, creating this family, and we pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Love you guys. Pretty pretty awesome to just see what what God's doing in our midst. And um, kind of like clink, it's something about band guys, I think, but Tim kind of walked in one day and... Uh, all of a sudden, they had, they had custody of this kid, Jaden, and we were going to get to meet him. And he uh, went from not being a dad to being a dad just like that. And it was, um, it's been a really, really neat thing to watch the, the, the two of them in that, or now, now the three of them. So I wrap up with this. What is your role? There's a truth that I'm slowly learning, and it takes me time sometimes to learn things. Maybe you're learning it too. Maybe you know this, but... Have you learned yet that some things are out of your hands? Some things are out of your hands, right? But here's another equally powerful truth that I'm learning is this. Some things are in your hands. And to figure out that which is not in your hands, and to figure out that which is in your hands, is a giant leap forward to figuring out your role in this. What if... What if each one of us in this church used what was in our hands to please the one who has us in his hands? What if? God's given you an umbrella, and the question is, how will you use it? One way to use an umbrella is to lounge at the beach and keep yourself comfy. Now, that's not at all bad, especially if you're fair-skinned. I highly recommend that. But it's possible to think that that's the only reason God's given you an umbrella. is to break it out at vacation and use it for your own comfort. There's another way to use umbrellas, and that is to put it in the dryer and shrink it and then decorate your drinks. (laughs) Again, not bad, not opposed to cute little umbrellas and drinks, right? In and of itself, not the worst thing. 
But maybe there's something more. Maybe God's given you an umbrella and you are meant to share it. I want to read for you just very quickly. If you want more information on this, then you can get more information. But to kind of paint a really broad brushstroke, there's so many variables that it was hard actually for my wife and I to bring these numbers into focus. But I just wanted to give you a quick snapshot on adoption cost and kind of the, the time frame of it. International adoption in general costs between twenty and forty thousand dollars. And the breakdown of that, some of that is travel, some of that is doing a home study. A social worker comes in and looks at your house and does follow-up appointments to make sure you're not a psycho and all kinds of things go on there. There are all kinds of court documents and papers and, and things that are included in that. The general time frame of an international adoption is between one and three years, depending on the country, depending on all kinds of factors. Domestic adoptions, as the Spangbergs actually mentioned, there's, uh, there's open, there's closed, there's private, there's all kinds of different things. But in general, fifteen to 40000 is the, the general cost. One to five years is, is the general timeline on that. Again, some of these go very quickly. You heard from Clink a few weeks ago where it went in, in, incredibly quick. And then Fostadopt um, costs somewhere between 5000 and 3000 There's a sense that actually the state pays for some things, but there are costs involved uh, for you as well. And the time frame for that, once again, can kind of be one year to about seven years. I just met with a buddy of mine who's a couple of weeks away from being able to be ready to receive a, a placement. He may get it right away. He may wait um, some time for that. And in that seven years, what I'm including is the finalization process. The fact that the Spangbergs are absolutely finalizing this in this quick of a time is a huge praise. We've had personal friends who've, who've extended uh, well into six years um, just due to different um, issues with the birth mom and, and all kinds of things like that. So I wanted to give you just kind of a general snapshot. Near the back wall there are several books. These are all from mine and Becky's personal library. We've read all of these books, and I've got them back there for a variety of reasons. Feel free to go flip through them. I would ask that you just kind of flip through them to see which book you might be interested in getting. We're happy to loan them out, but right now they're not for loan out. So if you want to borrow one, come talk to us after second service, and we'll be happy to, to let you borrow them. They've been really helpful to us. Let me invite the band up right now. We're going we're gonna to sing a song that kind of captures this wrap-up mode of this morning, that we want to take our faith and put it into action. James says that it's lifeless. He actually says stronger language. He says your faith is dead if there's no action to it. And one of the things that shows off God in all his goodness is just variety. And um, I was speaking with a person in our church who does a lot of prison ministry. And he does a lot of pr prison ministry because um, he's been there. And he fits in and knows that world well. And as we got talking, I asked him quite bluntly what his role in orphan care was. And he said, you know, I figured it out at men's group last week. And I said, oh, tell me about it. He said, well, I already go in and I do this prison ministry because you know what Jesus said? He said to visit people in prison. And I said, I love that. The Bible says to do it. You go and do it. So as he's visiting people in prison, he said, you know that about 90% of people in prison are dads? He said, it dawned on me that I have a voice with dads who aren't being the kind of men that God wants them to be. So I've decided I'm going to shift my focus a little bit, and I'm going to challenge these 
men to be the kind of dad starting today that God wants them to be. And his own personal story intertwines with that amazingly well. And as we sat here having this conversation, I thought, isn't this incredible? You actually wouldn't qualify for adoption. Just because of your life experience and some of the things that have gone on, you can't adopt. But rather than just saying, well, I can't adopt, so this month clearly isn't for me. Instead, God, God said, actually, you have a very important role that someone else who may be able to adopt could never do. And that is speak into the life of an inmate from one who's been there. This is the great variety of God, and this is what I'm talking about when I say that every Christian has a role. For everyone that's handed the ball of foster care, for everyone that's handed the ball of adoption, you know what they need? They need blockers, and they need coaches, and they need cheerleaders, and they need water boys. And they need people around them that support what's going on. Beyond that, there are people like uh, these men sitting in prison. And I would call that, again, it's kind, of, it's kind of orphan prevention, isn't it? It's potential that they could reunite with dad and have dad back in their life when at one point they had chalked it up as something that would never happen. I want you to listen to this song as we sing, and I'll be right back with just a couple of application points. We wrap up with this. Do something. That's what the song just told us to do. So you're going, oh, okay, great. What? I've got some thoughts. And again, these are, these are meant to just kind of springboard the conversation. It's really powerful the way that God takes um, something that goes on when we gather together uh, and sing and pray and, and, uh, and spend time with one another and stirs things in us. But maybe just to kind of get us going. Here's, here's one thought. I've broken these down each month into something that anyone can do. These are easy baby steps. And then next, something that many people can do, maybe not quite as many as anyone. And then there's something that, that only a few people uh, might be, be willing to step into. So here's the one for, for anyone. Anyone can read to educate yourself. Again, these books that I've mentioned in the back are just kind of a start. Um, some of them have to do with, with adoption. One, one is called Your Church is Too Safe. I read that book probably five years ago. And, um, and it was a, a challenging, stirring book to not live with the status quo of just doing service after service after service. Secondly, begin serving so that your spiritual gifts can emerge or continue to serve faithfully. Here's what I want to acknowledge. There's a lot of incredible things going on in our church midst uh, already. Keep serving there. Um, there are some of you who are serving right now, people who are vulnerable and disadvantaged and off the, off the grid, so to speak. Serve them. There's some of you who are serving people right in the middle of the grid and very much known, um, and God's using you in a very powerful way. Keep doing it. Uh, some people want to know, how do I discover my spiritual gift? How do I know that the, the ways God has gifted me? I'll tell you the best thing to do. Serve in community. What I mean by that is this. Get involved in serving and do it with an open conversation with those around you. Um, sometimes we, not sometimes, we all have blind spots and we need our friends to say, hey, that's a blind spot. That's probably something you shouldn't be doing. If you get involved into a ministry and people lovingly want to usher you out, it may mean that you just aren't gifted in that area. We're going to have that honest conversation here, and we're going to, we're going to find you places. But the, the best way to discover how you're gifted is to begin serving. Uh, here's something that many of you can do. Many of you can make plans right now to schedule time and money to invest in the fatherless at Grace Children's Home. We have a trip coming up in July, July 25th to August 1st. Many of you have already been down there before. 
Maybe God's calling you back. Maybe God's calling you to do something different this summer. Some of you haven't ever been to this before. It was interesting. One of the questions last week was, have you ever been to an orphanage? At the men's group, a small handful had ever even seen or been around an orphanage before. I asked my son that the, uh, this question. We were going over the questions Thursday morning, and he said, no, I've never been on one. And he was thinking about the ones in Ethiopia and China and other places that I've been to. And I smiled at him. I said, Ethan, you've actually been down to an orphanage many years of your life. And it dawned on me. He said, oh, yeah, Grace Children's Home. And it's such a compliment to how they run the orphanage that it wasn't an orphanage in his mind. It was a large family. And it's a beautiful picture of, of the work that's going on down there. You can join us on that trip. Secondly, you could invest six weeks in a community group that my wife and I are going to lead um, called Considering Adoption. Uh, we've done this in the past, and um, we basically are, are just going to look at many people who, who are considering it, want some questions answered, and they want to rub shoulders with people who've been down the road a little bit. And so we just avail ourselves to, to doing that. We'll keep you posted on the, on the details. A few of you. A few of you could alter your career or your study path, if you're a student, to pursue this full-time. Let me give you some examples in our church. Last fall, the Hintons went off to Nairobi, Kenya. They were teachers here in the Silicon Valley. And right now, they're a little bit frustrated because um, part of their motive for going there was to, to really help the, the, the vulnerable. And they've been on the front lines of talking about, praying about, thinking about adoption for a long time. Um, and they're in what I would call pre-adoption work. They are in pre-orphan care work where they are kind of laying some groundwork and figuring things out while they're teaching at an inter international school. Also, this last fall, uh, Josh, Josh Barrow went to go serve in the Tenderloin District for nine months. That was altering his career path, his, his studies path, um, for, the, for the explicit purpose of working with people who are, uh, who are estranged and vulnerable. Maybe some of you could start or partner with a ministry that is already doing this well. Again, the idea of extending your reach is to jump in, not recreate the wheel, but jump in with those maybe who are already doing this incredibly well. Next week, we're going to get to hear from a guy named Glenn Miller. Glenn uh, was used by God to start an organization called Hands of Hope. You can go to hohafrica.org to discover what they're doing. But this was not a children's guy. I served with Glenn, worked under him for 10 years. He's not what you would call a children's guy. And isn't it just like God to have him start an incredible work going on in Zimbabwe? We are looking at partnering with HOH to actually go on a trip. Some of you have been saving, actually, since this was mentioned last time. We haven't forgotten about it. And we're going to get to hear more about that. How powerful to have some of you on the ground running camps for kids and learning names and learning faces and bringing that back to us and saying, hey, let me tell you the stories of what God's doing over there. Nothing quite like that. So again, these are meant uh, by way of um, stirring up what else, what else could be. Let me pray, and then we'll uh, wrap up in some, uh, one more song here. Father, thank you for this month. Thank you for this morning, God, and your word that um, just so clearly shows us as a church how we're to function, how we're to think of one another. I pray, God, that we would learn well to lean on each other and to, to weep with those who weep, not just in our own midst, but around the world. And God, I thank you for technology that um, while there's evil people jumping on that bandwagon to use it to perpetrate evil, God, you've called us to jump in and actively use technology for good. Not just getting word out about people in trouble, but coordinating things that we can do 
to make a huge difference. We love you and thank you for your work in our midst. Amen.